What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Deer Vein Podcast. And this week we got on Derek Lauren. Derek is a Wisconsin native, hunts the Driftless area, and dumped a giant 170-inch 10-point um, about a week into season. And we're going to go over that story today. So we're going we're gonna to talk to Derek about how he figured that out, how he was able to hunt that deer. We're going to uh, uh, decrypt it, pick it apart, and try to find some things that everybody else uh, can listen to and apply in their own hunting scenarios. Before we hop into that, I just got to thank a few of the show sponsors here. Um, really fast this week, I'll just knock this out. Vector Custom Shop, if you need good arrows, you want to find good arrows, uh, you're not wanting to do all the FOC stuff, but you want to eliminate when you're tuning your bow, you want to eliminate the arrow out of the equation as being the problem, call Vector Custom Shop. You can find them on Instagram, Facebook, um, online, just Google them. You'll, you'll find those guys. Next one, Onyx Maps. If you don't know Onyx Maps, they show public, private land boundaries. They give you GPS location. They can work offline, which is awesome, especially in the Driftless area because you don't get any reception out there at all whatsoever. And, uh, and then you can have waypoints and mark everything and, and track it all. So awesome app. Go check out Onyx Maps. And the last one, um, Venado. Venado makes lifestyle apparel for the hunter. If you are not interested in giving Kohl's and Shopco and Target and Walmart all your money uh, and you want some good quality clothing, like good sweatshirts, good t-shirts, good pants, um, high quality stuff that people stand behind, search Venado. They give 2% back to conservation. They're hunting focused. You're going to be spending your money in the right place rather than a Walmart who is certainly not advocating for hunting. All right. So that being said, we're going to jump into this podcast. What's up, Derek? Excited to have you on here today, man. Thanks. I appreciate it. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I, we found we found each other. I found Derek through a mutual friend, Matt Spetz. Had him on the podcast last year. I'm um, around this time, and he is going to jump on here pretty soon. Um, Matt, if you guys haven't looked him up, he's the Deer Nerd. I forget what his Instagram and all that stuff is, but but anyway, he's a good dude. And Matt said, "Hey, you should check out Derek Lauren." followed him on Instagram. And within a couple of days, he had shot this giant 10 point. Um, and it is, it is massive. If you haven't looked him up, it's Bowhunter Derek, um, just on Instagram and Derek is spelled with two R's. So look him up. This thing is, I'm looking at it right now. I mean, it's a tank dude. It's like, <laughs> he is giant. Uh, so, um, yeah. So Derek, for, for anybody that, that doesn't know you, um, can you tell a little bit about yourself and the property, the, the type of area or property that you're hunting and uh, how long you've been hunting it and kind of just give the background of all that? Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm Derek Lauren, um, 30 years old. Uh, I live up in northern Wisconsin. Um, I log full time in the woods and uh, grew up on a farm, uh, still raising cattle. Um, so I've been a farm boy my whole life and, and in the woods working. So but uh, yeah, so I have a, um, a lease in Southwest Wisconsin, which is known as a driftless area, um, very bluffy, hilly area. Um, started hunting down there, that particular property um, I've had for three years now. Started uh, actually got permission to turkey hunt the property and built a relationship with the landowner and um, was able to finally twist his arm enough to, to let me lease for bow season. Nice. Uh, so I got started there. Just started with the turkeys, huh? <laughs> the best thing you can do to, 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 to get an in with landowners because, you know, most guys don't care about turkeys and 
it's just impossible nowadays to go knock on a door and, and just out of the blue to get permission to, to deer hunt. It's, it's almost impossible now. Yeah, it is. It's, it's tough. Lots of hunters, um, lots of people that buy land specifically for hunting. Um, and so, yeah, they're not, they're not out there letting everybody, everybody and their brother hunt it like they did back in the day. Right. So, um, how do you, just to back up a quick second, how'd you find like the property? Did you just go on, knock on a ton of doors and this just happened to be a property that said yes, or did you look it up strategically or what? Yeah. Um, just, just, uh, knocked on the door and, uh, got, got permission to turkey hunt. And, uh, yeah, when I started turkey hunting the property and, and seeing how the land laid and everything, and it's not, you know, it's not a real big piece. It's only 160 acres, um, but it lays and hunts very big. Um, it feels like you're hunting 300 acres. Hmm. Um, so when I started turkey hunting that and seeing some of the rubs and scrapes, and I thought, oh man, would this just be a dream property to have? And I knew the landowners, they gun hunted and bow hunted and stuff and uh, just built the relationship with the landowner and, and he got to know me, which is, I mean, that's the biggest thing is they got to get to know you and to be able to trust you. And, um, yeah, it just, it went from there and, um, was able to just get, I didn't want to ask for a, you know, the full season. I actually just asked, Hey, you know, could I hunt a week? Can I have one week? You know, we'll figure something out. Let's do that. And I actually didn't hear from him in two months. He took to text me back and he's like, yeah, go ahead. Why not? <laughs> and uh, I was very luck lucky that he said that. And, um, and now, um, yeah, great friends with him now and uh, him and his wife and yeah, they're ecstatic every time I kill a big deer off the property now. So it's uh, been pretty. That's awesome. Yeah. That's a great way. Did you use your uh, logging skills to, to gain that relationship? You go cut, cut some stuff down for him. <laughs> I, but I, I know he's in um, MFL, the managed forest um, program there. So I think, I think pretty quick, he's got some property coming up or some of it to be able to be logged. So, which will be huge because it just creates more bedding areas. So, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. That's pretty cool. Um, all right. So, yeah. So, I mean, you just ended up with this property. Um, you said it, it's 160, but it hunts like 300. Tell me, can you tell me about that a little bit? Yeah. So it, there's about a two mile square and it sits in the middle of it. Okay. So you go up top and it's, it's kind of like, kind of like a big L and the top part is CRP. So it's very steep on all the neighboring properties. So very rarely do I get any close pressure from neighboring properties. So there's so much good bedding and hunting just off the property line into these neighboring properties that do not get pressured. Oh, okay. You know, some places, yeah, I maybe only have 10, 15 acres, but I'm pulling out of a much bigger area. Sure. And um, a lot of times I have bucks on one side of the property that I never see on the other side ever. And okay. so it's big enough that way and the way it lays, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's a pretty good piece. Yeah, no, that's, that's really interesting and unique and something I want to, I want to go back to that. But before we get too far, and if people are wondering why they why they should listen to this podcast, what you told me right off the bat earlier was pretty pretty astounding. So in the last three years, you've hunted this piece for three years. Um, you've been able to kill every year. Yeah. Right. What what have you what what have you been able to to not hunt down? 
Yeah, so the the, the first year um, after learning the property through turkey season, um, the, the first year um, it had been my first sit, um, and I watched this deer through the summer through scouting, uh, using the soybeans, neighboring soybeans, and um, a couple trail cam picks of them, and ended up killing a 140-inch eight-pointer. And then giant eight. Yeah, it is super wide, um, not real heavy, but really wide, long beans, uh, tall tines. And the following year, I ended up, which would be last year, October 18th. Um, it would have been the first sit for that deer. I hunted a few times just to observe what this deer was doing. So I didn't want to dive in on them too quick. But right. when I find weather right, perfect situation. Um, dove in there uh actually hung a stand actually in the evening right before dark because the wind was perfect it was blowing 20 30 miles an hour i knew he would never be able to hear me i snuck in there hung the stand the next morning i killed him at eight o'clock he actually he was just about ready to bed down he was just about to put one foot down and uh, i shot him and, and killed him so yeah then this, That's this awesome. i had a lot of history with uh last year too um this last buck uh, finally figured out what he was doing and we can dive into that more, but uh, yeah, it was uh, the first sit on him too and uh, killed him and he's a 70 inch mainframe 10 with a couple of kickers. So. <laughs> so a 140, what was the, what was the second one? A 140, a 155 or something? Yeah. 155. 155 and then a 170 in three years. I mean, that's pretty astounding on a brand new property. I, it puts me to shame. I'll tell you that. Cause I've been hunting our property for three years and I've had close encounters. I haven't been able to kill. I haven't, but I've had close encounters um, with deer, not, not a 170, 165. So close, but, um, but yeah, that's, that's pretty intense. So before you even had the deer hunting, uh, the, that one week, you know, hunt that one week lease the first year, when you were out there turkey hunting, were you like, ooh, I'm going to actually just start scouting right now just in case I get permission? Yeah, I have <laughs> focusing on turkeys. Um, I've killed a ton of turkeys on that property too, but no, and, and, and spring is such a good time to scout um, with the leaves off. You can still see what, what went on the year before with, you know, rubs and scrapes and trails and um, seeing some huge rubs on cedar trees and, and stuff like that. So yeah, I was... <laughs> I was definitely just scouting more than I was turkey hunting that, that first. <laughs> right. Yeah. You shoot, you shoot your bird or you don't hear a bird and you're, you're out there for 20 minutes. And you're like, well, I might as well go see what this rub line might be up to this year. I think there might've been a scrape over there. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's take a, let's, let's, um, so you've been able to, to hunt it for three years and you have kind of a general idea of how the land lays you mentioned that, that you do like summer, summer scout in terms of, of trail cams, and then also just watching deer out in fields in the neighbors, you said. So essentially as I'm picturing it is you kind of have this hilltop to hunt. There's pretty steep sides. Um, you probably have the entrance up one of the steep sides or something like that. And then down in the bottoms are neighbor properties and their ag fields. So these deer are coming kind of down these hillsides into the bottoms feeding on soybeans and, and corn and whatever's down there. And then they're coming up and bedding on those hillsides. Right. Does that sound about right? Yeah, exactly. So he's got about 80 acres up top. That's all CRP. It's kind of split in between two forties. 
So it's all CRP. There is no egg on the property, but yeah, neighboring farms um, usually are planting soybeans and then sometimes corn. Um, but yeah, in, in the summer, I, I will I will drive down um, in August. I'll kind of pick the good nights, <clears throat> whether it's a wet red moon or a cold front moving in. You know, the problem is that you're five hours away. You got to really pick your shots. And um, which has helped me tremendously because it avoids me from, you know, hunting when I shouldn't be. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I pay so much more attention to, you know, weather, red moon. And when I know I can kill that deer, then I'm, then I'm moving in to kill them. Um, so you really have to be calculated when you're, when you're that far away, but yeah, so I run, I run a few trail cameras, um, just in general transition areas, uh, through the summer, but man, you can, you can be off a hundred yards on a trail camera and never have a picture and have that buck be living right there. And, um, so I really don't put out more trail cameras until I'm, I'm scouting and, and figure, trying to figure out a deer that I want to kill. Okay. So the moon hunter, the last podcast that I released, and this will be released uh, the week after hunters podcast and hunter killed 176 inch buck on public ground based on the moon phase. <laughs> so he's a big red moon guy. He killed his buck in Missouri. Um, and one of the things that he said in, in the podcast that really struck me is this exact same thing that you said is he goes, Oh, I, I live close to the public so I can watch it every night. But if, if I watch it on red moon nights and I don't see anything, I'm crossing it off the list. Like red moon nights are, are the best. So very similar to what you're saying. If you're driving five hours, you're planning it around that, that six day red moon window and you're able to get down there. And, it's, and especially if it can tie in with some sort of front, that's even better. Right. Yeah, exactly. So I put more weight in a weather front than I do the red moon. Now I watched the red moon for years and there is definitely a correlation between big mature bucks moving in daylight with that red moon. Now, when I killed this deer on the 21st, it was right in the middle of two red moons. So if you would have looked at just the red moon, it was complete opposite, but it was a rising full moon, which I always liked it for years, I've always watched that and had great evening movement, but yeah. So the 21st, when I killed this deer was the first day, I'm sure, you know, the first day of a big front that moved in Monday, we had 86 degrees and then it was 66 on that Tuesday. Mm -hmm. and, and I mean, it's just a blessing that we got it in September. Um, you know, I'm usually waiting a little longer than that to get that first front. But yeah, when I seen that first front, I'm, I shut down the logging equipment and packed up and flew down there as fast as I could. So, <laughs> yeah. And before the podcast, I, I told Derek, I, was, I, I said, when you killed this deer last week, right? And he goes, yeah, the Tuesday on that front. I said, dude, I was calling my mom. I called my dad. I called my in-laws. I was try talking to my neighbors, trying to get someone to watch my kids so that I could, I could go hunt. I didn't get the ability to, um, but at the same time, those, those cold fronts in the early season, I mean, 86 to 67 with the Northwest wind. I mean, it was, it was a premium, premium time based on weather. And with, like you said, a rising full moon. And again, the, not to bring up Hunter again, he said he really likes those rising full moons on the horizon as you're sitting in the evenings too, 
Cause you get a lot of good movement at that time frame too. So it's, um, yeah, it was, that's a good, it's a good time to hunt. So, okay. So this, this buck, this giant 10 pointer, um, do you have a name for him at all? Did you name him at all? I kind of just called him the heavy 10. Um, years ago I started naming deer and as soon as I gave him a name, it was like, they got killed by somebody else. So I'm like, no more names. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just, I call him the heavy 10 because he was there last year. And then the super wide 10 pointer, I killed there last year. I, you know, I called him the wide 10 cause he was way wider and, and this buck, the heavy 10. So that always stuck. Gotcha. Yeah. No. And the reason I ask is not for like superficial things or anything. I just want to be able to call out that specific deer. Right. So the heavy 10, so you, so you just said you knew he was there last year was, was he, did he just not present an opportunity last year or were you targeting the wide 10 last year over the heavy 10? Yeah. So what happened was, um, this, this wide 10 pointer that I killed last year, um, he was showing it, showing up in a bean field a lot in daylight in August. So I had the landowner sending me videos of this buck and I got, I got just so connected with this wide 10 pointer that I wanted to kill. So this, the heavy 10 buck, he did not show up. And the same thing he did this year, he did not show up until he lost his velvet. So last year it was September 7th. The first picture I got of this deer, never, ever got a velvet picture. And this year it was September 2nd. I got the first picture of him. So he was, he was spending his velvet time, you know, a little, you know, on a neighboring farm, I'm sure. Um, and as soon as he lost his velvet, um, then he would show up. But anyway, so last year I was targeting this wide buck and he was, he was in two fingers, um, that I know of that he would bet on. And it was super thick. And I, there's no way to go in there with the leaves on and be able to see enough to be able to kill him. So I just, as hard as it was, I told myself, I cannot go in there until the leaves come out. So anyway, for that wide 10 pointer, I set up a few observation stands just to kind of cross off some other areas. So I knew he wasn't using. Um, so one morning on October, it would have been like October 5th or 6th, that first frost, the first frost is always a good time to sit. For some reason, the deer always get up that first frost you get in the fall. So I was walking uh, to my stand in the morning. I usually like to get, I like to get up a good hour before daylight. Um, the deer just, they don't pay attention as much when it's super dark, but I was a little late getting up there. And once I got to the CRP, it was just light enough to see, and I could see some does out there. So I kind of just sat down for a minute until they moved off. And then I crested the CRP and it was light enough to see. And I was looking down towards my stand was, and there's the heavy 10 on a licking branch, 20 feet from my tree stand. <laughs> Like you have got to be kidding. So that'll I, take you to wake up late. Oh my goodness. It, yeah. What, what that but so anyway, I, I backed right out of there because I, I was not going to spook him and you know, any means necessary. I did not want him to know I was there. So I backed out and had him on camera a few other times. He was kind of moving around a lot and so, which he was kind of in the back of my mind. I was really focused on this other buck. So the, uh, October, October 15th or 16th, we had a front moving in. I drove down there and I was having trouble with the neighboring farm 
having cattle were getting loose onto the lease property. And it was like every week and me and the landowner were, we were getting pretty upset. So I have a cell cam up on the CRP and I, and I'm driving down there and here's all these cows in the CRP. And I'm like, you have got to be kidding. So I drive down there, I tell the landowner. So we, we jump on his side by side, which I hate driving up there, but we were, we wanted to get these cows off of there because we've had enough. And so we get up to the CRP and here's these cows. Well, I am so pissed off. I take off running after these herd of cows. So we go crashing down through the woods, me after these cows to get them off the property. And lo and behold, this heavy 10 was bedded a hundred yards from these cows. And I didn't see them, but I run these cows off and this, the heavy 10 gets up and takes off like a rocket. And I didn't know that until I walked back to the landowner and he's standing there stone faced. And I'm like, you know, what's going on? He's like, you'll never believe this. You ran right past that that big buck and he took off and I'm like oh my goodness so I, I was upset about that but I wasn't too upset because I was focusing on this other deer and um it was actually the next morning I ended up killing that the the wide 10 pointer he was <laughs> just under 20 wide and um so that was that was the story with that um that I had with him last year and I tagged out and um I know the landowner had some cameras out excuse me, late season. And, um, he had him on camera a few times, which was good. So I knew he, he made it through gun season and, you know, I was hoping he was still going to be in the area. And, uh, so this spring I went down to shed hunt and I picked up his right side, um, on a South facing slope. And it was kind of a ways away from where I kind of thought he was betting, but it really helped me. It helped me this year to understand what he was doing, put another, another piece of the puzzle on him. So yeah huh yeah no that's super interesting and and i am i'll tell you i am laughing but for whatever reason in the podcast right now when i like laugh or talk while you're talking it cuts out your voice so i'm trying to hold everything in um uh, because yeah. i envision you just running across the field going ah chasing cows around and then this giant 10 just running back and the landowner being like oh there he goes <laughs> that's the buck you're after but uh but yeah, so um, anyway, okay, so you had you had the you had the encounters with him last year, but you were more focused on the wide eight. And there's a whole host of questions I want to ask about about all that with in terms of the leaves and getting in there and all that. But so so you were able to find a shed, so he did survive. Uh, quick question: Does the landowner still gun hunt that as well? Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, yep. So, I mean, whatever it's, he's the landowner. If he gets them, that's fantastic. Great. Good for him. Um, okay. So he makes it through gun season, makes it through winter. He sheds. Um, so now rolling into this season, so spring you go, are you still Turkey hunting that? And are you out there, um, with the mindset that that is that that heavy 10 is the one that you're after this, this year in 2021? Yeah, no, he was, he was my full attention. Um, it was funny actually in March when I found his shed, I have it on Instagram and I said, this is a buck that's got my full attention this year. So it's, it's pretty sweet that, that it worked out. It doesn't always work out that way, but um, yeah. So he was, he was the buck I was after. Um, I did have another deer show up that probably might've scored a little higher than him. 
but he was, I think he's a year or two younger than, than this buck was. And as soon as this, as soon as the heavy 10 this year showed up, that other buck had disappeared. And I, I, I'm pretty sure he just kicked him out of the area. So, okay. So then, so essentially, I mean, you never even saw him until September 2nd, you said, right? Um, of this year. Yeah. Um, or like he's, he's the buck that you said does not come onto the property until he drops velvet, right? Yeah, exactly. So September 2nd is a, is the first picture I got of him. Okay. Um, yeah, he would never show up in velvet. Um, as soon as the velvet came off though, he was there and which happens a lot, you know, as soon as that velvet comes off their demeanor completely changed and, you know, they're, they're splitting away from brat bachelor groups and, uh, yeah, so he would show up and. I was hoping to get some earlier pictures of him to like confirm that he was there, but I wasn't too worried because I was figuring what he was going to do last, you know, same as he was going to do last year. Uh, and that's, that's what he did. So. Okay. And that was, so that, and you said, so essentially you roll in early September um, and season in Wisconsin open September 18th this year, I think. Yeah. 18th. You killed him on the 21st, which is only yeah, three days in a season, which is awesome. Um, so, and you know, you found him, did, was that a cell cam pick that was sent to you? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I would imagine five hours away, it's worth the cell cam investment at that point. Yeah. I mean, everybody's got their own thoughts about cell cams, um, but it, it was kind of in, you know, with the landowner, he, he wanted one there too, um, just because we've had trouble with cattle. I mean, that's, that's what we were able to get the, get, get the cattle off of there because I knew they were up there via the cell cam. Um, but yeah, no. So yeah, he was on the cell cam. Um, yeah. September 2nd, September 2nd and September 3rd, he was back to back nights. He did the exact same thing within five minutes. And that was, that was a huge key because if you got a, you got a, you got a six and a half year old buck that does, does the same thing two nights in a row he's usually very very close so that uh that was a big tip to kill him okay so all right and and to answer the cell cam you you touched on the cell cam thing i personally currently am not a huge fan of cell cams i do not blame anyone who uses them um and it's not that I'm not a fan of it because I think it's unethical or anything like that. I think it's very ethical. I think that's totally fine. You, you are welcome to do that whatsoever. Um, but for me, it's a hundred percent, a personal thing. I don't, I live close enough to my property and I'm only an hour away that I feel like it's my, what I want to say, like, it, it's my ability to go check those cameras and be, and, and do better than that deer. If I lived five hours away, I would be investing in cell cams because it's just financially, it's just not worth the time um, to, to scoot down there for, for nothing when you can have it sent to you via, um, via a, a text message. And I don't, and I don't think anyone, like it, it, you're using cell cams, I don't think that you're less of a hunter because of it whatsoever. I think you're just using the means that are necessary for you to be successful. I have no problem with it whatsoever. And I'm not going to blame you or anything like that or anybody else out there. I think it's a personal decision. I don't think there's anything unethical about it whatsoever. All right. So I just want to throw that one out there. No issues with that whatsoever. Good, like good for you. Like that's awesome. Um, so 
yeah, and I don't I don't think anyone should really poo-poo anybody for using cell cams. I think that's stupid. Going on to the next the next piece. So you you had them on back-to-back nights and you said it was a huge key to killing that deer. And were those nocturnal photos? Were those at night? No, that was both of them were about an, yeah, an hour before uh dark. So it was, I don't remember exactly, 621. And then the next night it was 625. So okay. So how were those like keys to, well, anyway, what we'll, we'll get back to that one. That's one that we'll come back to. Okay. So, so you get these photos of him, um, in early September, you're like, all right, sweet. He is back. He's here. Um, the game is on. All right. So now how are you, what did, what is, what does it look like from September 3rd to September 18th? What are you doing in that time frame? <clears throat> well, I knew that last year early, he had a primary scrape. He hit a lot and a licking branch along the edge of the CRP. And he hit that a lot early October. And so last year, he didn't really transition over to that side of the farm until October. Um, Late September, early October, he was staying on the other side. So I thought this deer is already on that side. How quick is he going to be on that licking branch? So September 14th, um, I moved some cameras around and I put a camera on that licking branch before anything even touched it. There was no scrape there, nothing yet. Nothing had touched it. And so September 14th, I had a buck that I, that's been on the farm since I started hunting there. He's an eight and a half year old, nine, nine pointer. That's maybe 120 inches. And so that buck always lived in, in those fingers. He's always been in there. And I thought that was kind of interesting that you got two, you know, very old bucks using the same finger. So I thought, how is that going to play out? So anyway, September 14th, we had a, a front come in very similar to the 21st, um, which is something I always pay attention to. But that old buck hit that licking branch. He was the first one there, September 14th, right before dark. And 30 minutes later, the heavy 10 came right away and hit that licking branch right after that old buck did. So that told me that he did not like that old buck being there right off the bat, that he had to come in minutes after that to re-hit that licking branch and scrape. So that told me that that deer was using one or two fingers coming out to that CRP. Uh, mm. So that was a big tip there. Yeah. Gotcha. And those fingers for, can you explain the fingers for anybody who's not uh, familiar with driftless country or what fingers are yeah so it, it's it's two it's kind of like a horseshoe and at the the top part of the horseshoe is a crp and you have you know the ends of it go out into two ridge tops and you in the middle you have a very very steep ravine that comes up to that crp probably there's maybe like 40 yards of woods in between the crp and that deep ravine it's almost like a very it's almost like a cut bank um and then you have two fingers that that go out probably 100 to 200 yards that 
very secluded and I, I never even go back in there uh, knowing that usually there's a big deer that's using that. Okay. So you never, so you never go onto these fingers to hunt them. You just let them, that is their kind of mini sanctuary. They can go bet on those fingers. Um, do you go in there during shed hunting? Um, I don't think I have. Um, I just don't think I, I, I made the point to go back there, but, um, yeah, the, so the only time I will go in there is when I feel I can kill a deer off of there. So I moved okay. in there to kill this specific buck, um, not super deep because I didn't think he was bedding very far. And it was a good thing because he was bedded pretty close when I killed him that night. Okay. So, all right. So based on, based on this, this, this trail cam photo of the old buck coming in and then him coming in 30 minutes after that told you he was pretty aggressive and he was wanting to be dominant over this older buck. Um, and then was the time of day of this photo, you said, you said you didn't think he was betting very far back on these fingers was the time. How did you figure that out? Where, why did you think that? Um, it was, it was about an hour before dark. Um, so pretty early and, you know, so, September they just they just don't travel that far so if you get any type of daylight movement um September the first two weeks of October chances are that deer is very very close okay so you're just essentially using the the, the trail cam time frame of like an hour before dark like he's got to be betting within 100 yards of here because he's not moving very far an hour an hour before dark right he's got to be yeah. pretty close okay that makes sense. Um, and that's a great, that's a very good point. And I think that's something that, that a lot of people might miss is essentially like if you are getting daylight photos an hour to an hour and a half, or even two hours before dark, like that means you are like right there. <laughs> you are right in the, right in the sweet spot of that deer. So you better be careful if you're getting them an hour or two hours after dark, that means you're a little, that, that means you're like, a couple hundred yards from where they're going or where they're yeah. coming from. Right. Exactly. And, you know, regardless of cell cams or regular cams, when you look at that photo, um, I usually go back on, you know, the weather, the, the, I think it's Wonderground yeah. weather app, go back and look. So I will look, go back and look if I don't remember, but the 14th was a front that came in. Mm -hmm. So on those nights, you know, it's a very good movement night. So I knew he was going to be up on his feet and he was there that early. So I, I knew that, you know, you can have, you can have a, a, a bad day, a very hot day. Um, and yeah, you might get that deer on camera at midnight, but he could have been right there just because he was laying down that long. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So if it's a really, uh, uh, like right now, um, it is September 29th today, and we are in like a warm front stretch right now, right? Like 80s, 75, pretty much all south winds. We're, and this weekend, we're rolling into like a northeast, which is pretty strange, but that's what we're rolling into in Wisconsin. So in those south wind days that are very consistent, very flat, not a whole lot of movement, you're saying that you might get a photo of a buck at, at 10 p.m., and he still could be within a hundred yards of that. He's just laying down until nine 30. Cause it's just not a good weather day for him. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay. so I, so 
so much attention to, to that. And a lot of people just, oh, look, I got this picture of a big buck and, you know, but I don't see them. Well, th there's a hundred different things you got to look at between, you know, what, what time of year was it? What was the weather like? What was the moon phase like? And um, so anyway, that all happened on the 14th when that old buck came in, he hit that licking branch right after that, the heavy 10 came in. So leading up to the 14th, we had like four or five days of a, a steady south. And the 14th, we had a cold front, the wind switched to the Northwest. And that's when that's the, the pick I got of him. And okay. uh, so that tipped me what he was betting, what finger he betted on for a Northwest. Because most likely on a south southwest, he was using the other finger more to the south. On the north, on the other finger to the north, um, that north or, or a west wind is perfect for him to bed there. So, gotcha. Are you were you sitting there like refreshing your your cell cam? Like, come on, be there, be there, be there. <laughs> uh, not really, to be honest. After kind of knowing that deer and, and knowing how the how the farm is. Um, Honestly, I, I just needed one picture to know he was there to what I was going to do. Um, and so, yeah, I got that one picture of him. And that that told me what I needed to do was to wait for that next that next front to come in with that northwest wind, because that's that's where I figured he was going to bed. So again. OK, so so two questions out of that. Um, how about let's let's wrap up this, let's, let's, let's get to the end of the story, how, how you ended up killing this deer. And I have a couple of questions here on the, on the betting stuff. So, so you're, you're saying on the 14th, like they, they did all this and you're like, okay, Northwest wind got a key in on it. So season opens the 18th, um, season opens the 18th, you have the 18th, 19th, and you killed them on the 21st. Did you run down there and did you hunt the 18th and 19th or did you not even touch it or tell, tell me about that. And then tell me about how you set up, um, to kill this deer, what it was like. Yeah, no. So I didn't, I didn't, that was the first day down there. Uh, when I killed them, it was the first sit. Um, yeah, I won't, I won't take a chance on moving in. You know, it's one thing to do an observation sit on those days, but I won't move in tight on a big buck until I know, you know, I have those conditions. So yeah, the week before I was watching, when am I going to get this next front to move in with a Northwest wind? So I kind of thought it was going to be Wednesday. They were predicting it. And then it was like, yeah, it was like that opening day. Um, and I checked the weather again. It's like, oh, wow, it's coming in Tuesday. So I was in a mad scramble, get everything ready. I'm, I'm going down Tuesday. Um, yeah. Tuesday morning. Um, I drove down there and, uh, got everything ready, um, <clears throat> had to climb a very steep bank. This was another thing that, that could have ruined that hunt was when I'm climbing up and you know, the driftless area, how steep some of these hillsides are. When I'm climbing up this hillside, I get about halfway up and there's four does in between where this buck was actually bedded and me. So I thought, shoot, if I bust one of these does, it's going to alert this deer 100%. He will know something's happening. So I was lucky just to catch those does moving by before they caught me. So I laid right down flat. It took like 20 minutes. Finally, they, they got past me where I was able to get up again, walk up. And um, I actually have, because I killed, I killed a wide eight pointer out of that tree. And it was extremely difficult getting that stand up a, a really gnarly white oak. 
So I just left it up there and it was a good thing I did because it was, you know, it was right where I needed to be. It's the only stand I have on the property that I actually leave there just because it's so tough to get, get in the tree. Um, I hate, I hate leaving stands up and, you know, you leave a stand up and it gets lazy while well, the stand is there because it's convenient, but it's not where it needs to be to kill a specific deer. But anyway, so I had the stand already up there um, and I got down in there and the cell cam had went dead a few days before. And so when I got up there, I kind of peeked over at this licking branch and scrape and it was, it was hit again, pretty fresh. Um, I don't know if it was him, but I'm pretty sure it was, it was a big track that was in there. So I climb up, get up in the tree and it was still fairly warm, you know, sunny in, in, in the sixties. So I was going as slow as possible to keep my scent down. What time are you, uh, what time, what time is this, is this climb up the steep bank? What time is all this taking place? Yeah, it was probably, <clears throat> it was probably three o'clock and I probably got set yeah 345 i was i was in the tree okay gotcha all right so so i'm envisioning you climbing up the steep this steep bank popping up into like this big crp field seeing some does out there dumping down laying down for 20 minutes getting back up crossing over the crp and dropping down slightly um onto this like next ridge kind of on this finger ish area does that sound right Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So <clears throat> there's with the, with the topography, if the weather says for some reason on that side, if the weather says a Northwest wind, it's actually blowing straight West. So it's, it's, it's kind of scary because if it's a little off, he could he easily smell me. And it's, it's so tough to play that line because if the wind wasn't right for him to be there, he wouldn't be there. So right. in my approach, if I would have been a hundred yards to the left walking up there, that wind would have been blowing right to him and he'd have, he'd have busted out of there before I even knew he was there. Um, so yeah, anyway, I, I get up there and I hit my wind checker right away because I'm like, it better be West here. And sure enough, it was. So I'm like, okay, perfect. Even though the weather channel was saying North, Northwest, Northwest, but the way that a couple of those bluff lays, it swirls that wind back to a straight West, um, which was a big key because I already experienced that with another deer. And I was thinking, I hope, I hope it does it again. And that's exactly what it was doing. Um, so it was, yeah, it was a good hour before uh, dark when I killed them. So it was probably close to six o'clock and uh, it's still super green down there. So you can't see very far. You can't hear because there's no, you know, crunchy leaves. Um, so I'm sitting there and <clears throat> I could, I kind of thought I heard something at one point and I thought I heard it again. I'm like, is it a squirrel? You know, what's going on? And I'm trying to look through the green and I couldn't see, couldn't see. And this is off my right shoulder behind me. So and I kind of straightened, I kind of straightened back up and I'm looking forward and I heard something again. I'm like, wow, that, that's close. So I slowly look over my right hand shoulder and there he is at 20 yards looking straight in my direction, not at me, but straight in my direction. <laughs> and I'm like, holy smokes, you know, the first deer I see out of the tree and here's, a, you know, 170 inch deer. And, um, did you pull so my boat? <laughs> Go ahead. 
I said, did you did you poop? Did you take a shit right then? <laughs> oh, man. oh man, I did a double take. You know, I looked and I'm like, wait, is that real? I'm like, yeah, no, he's right there. And um, so he's, yeah, he's he's with within 20 yards, and he's facing me, and he's he's just feeding on acorns, but he's you know he's he's eating acorns he's looking up and he's and he's pausing for 10 15 seconds motionless you know and um just like all those big bucks do they move so slow so my bow is on my left side and i slowly grab my bow and it's an awkward shot because off your right hand shoulder you're right-handed it, it's tough to get in that position so i slowly stand up as he's looking away and i and i get turned around but he's, he's facing me. And now he's like at 15 yards and I'm like, man, he's getting close I'm, I'm thinking if my stand or my bow or the wind switch for a second, he's out of there because he is so close. So I drop, he kind of turns broadside for just a second. And I'm like, man, I could kill him right there. So I pull back. As soon as I pull back, I, I got, I got him in my peep, but my nose button wasn't lining up. And I'm like, what in the world? So I glance up and my string was just touching a limb. And I thought, oh man, I cannot shoot. So I'm holding there and he right away faced me again. Now he's at 10 yards. So I didn't have a shot anyway. So it, he, he just turned for a second. I drew back. I'm like, man, something ain't right. I look and I'm like, shoot. All of a sudden between that, he's facing me again and he's closer. So I'm holding there for like a it, it seemed like forever, but it was probably a minute. I'm holding, I'm holding. I'm like, come on, just turn. So he doesn't turn. He gets to about 10 yards and he jumps a little brush pile. And now he's directly behind me at like six or seven yards. So I slowly let down as slow as I can with everything I have. And there he is right behind me. And this oak tree, it's, it's super ugly. It's got big limbs coming out all over. And so behind me, it's, it's pretty covered up the way that the tree is. So I could just see him down there and I'm, I'm about 25, 30 feet up maybe. And I could just see him down there and he's standing there motionless for, it seemed like forever. And honestly, it was probably a good 10 to 15 minutes. And he's standing there and he takes a step and he's looking and I'm, I'm kind of looking through behind the tree. I could see him, you know, how they lick their nose to refresh their scent glands. And I'm like, man, this is taking too long. I, the longer he stands here, the, the higher chance I got of, of something going wrong. So finally he moves a couple steps and he's finally getting close. So I thought, okay, he's going to come around my backside. I got to turn. So I got to make a turn in the tree with him right underneath me. And the wind is starting to die down at this point. So any little thing that would have went wrong, it, it, you know, it would have been over. But anyway, I get turned around and now he's 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 just about to clear another tree and he stops and i'm like man i could kill him there so i i drew back leveled off and uh yeah just absolutely smoked him he didn't know what hit him he did a big wheel hop he almost he almost did a complete backflip and he got his feet underneath him and like the third jump i could see the blood just pouring out and i'm like oh he's a dead deer and uh he did run out of sight but i could only see about 30 yards and uh but i knew he was done so Oh man, that is wild. Uh, so I have to, I have to ask the first thing that comes to my mind is, um, is what, you know, like at that close a range, wind dying down, 
like a squeak in the stand can kill it, can kill the entire deal, right? So what stand are you running? Are you running anything special or is it just like farm and fleet? No, um, I will only use lone wolf tree stands. It's okay. Only, it's the only stand I trust. I have killed so many big deer out of them. And that thing, yeah, I mean, it didn't make a noise and it has helped me in, in many situations. I, I could have never done that with a cheap tree stand with the cheap right. aluminum ash padding that it would have made a, you know, the slot, the slightest little tink and he'd have been out of there. Um, yeah, no, I, I agree. And I, I have a lone wolf um, and I do have a bunch of, I, I spent a bunch of money on some big games. Like I was just like, oh, I'll just buy like 10 of them and just throw them up. And those things like they creak. They creak pretty good. Um, I'm not super happy with them. I'm not super happy with the sticks as well. Like, especially in cold weather, those things are like, ur, ur, ur. every time you step up them, I'm like, Jesus, like, this is not what I'm trying to get after when I'm getting close to a bedding area. <laughs> so, so yeah. Um, but I, yes. Okay. I, I wholeheartedly agree. A lone wolf, um, lone wolf custom gear, right? Cody and, and uh, Andre's new company, um, Novix, um, XOP. Those are all great stands. Great, great options. Um, this year I'm running the hush. Have you ever heard of that? I have uh, it. It's, it's a, it's a dude, um, out on a limb manufacturing. Um, they're just like, they're an Instagram company that I found. They make, they, it's a dude, his son and, and four of his son's buddies. He's an, he's a, like a, some sort of engineer, um, like a mechanical engineer, but he just really likes building tree stands apparently. Um, so he started making some sticks, started making some tree stands and now he has a hush, which is very similar to it's eight pounds. It's similar to a lone wolf. Um, the, the smaller version of a lone wolf for like a 0.5 from lone wolf custom gear. So, um, I'm, I'm trying that out this year. And so far I've, I've ran it just a few times in the backyard and once on a piece of public just for fun. Um, and it's worked really well, but I think that is, that is one of those things that it's like, you know, people, people want to try to shave costs where they can. Right. And shaving costs is it's like, not everybody has an unlimited budget, but man, like do yourself a favor and don't go to the bar for a weekend and buy a good tree stand. Like that's, that's all you maybe, maybe don't go to the bar for a month and you'll save like 25 bucks, 30 bucks a night at a minimum. And all of a sudden, like at the end of the month, you have 200 bucks in your pocket or whatever. So then go ahead and buy that lone wolf or wait until the spring, get on Craigslist, get on Facebook marketplace and find a tree stand or the end of season. People will sell them at the end of season cheap. Don't try to buy one in September because everybody and their brother wants one at that point. And try to buy one in the off time and save a, save a few bucks and buy something nice because 170 inch deer for a lot of people will come along once in a lifetime. And to, to have a, a $50 tree stand that squeaks at, and that bucks at six yards, you're going to really regret not going to the bar for a few weekends. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, you can't emphasize that enough. Um, it's one of the most important things. I mean, if you're, if you're specifically targeting big deer. Um, so like I said, that stand is the only stand I actually keep set on that property. Um, otherwise, yeah, I have a stand on my back end and four or five climbing sticks. And yeah, you can have people, they go out and they buy four or five, six ladder stands and throw them out randomly. And you could easily take that money and just go buy one stand and four sticks and you're way farther ahead. Mm -hmm. 
And um, yeah. it's been such a huge part of that, that wide 10 pointer I killed last year. Um, yeah, went in there the, the night before, found the tree, had to be super quiet because I knew he could be close. Um, yeah, hung that set, killed him the next morning, took it down. And I don't go back in that area, you know, until it, it's time to try to kill another deer out of that bedroom. So, yeah. No, I, I think, yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And, and I, I will attest to that. I had the, the 165 inch buck. Um, I named him Groot. He looked like he had roots growing out of his head and he's just super crazy, non-typical. Um, and, uh, I hung a lone wolf set, lone wolf sticks, lone wolf stand. And I did use a ratchet strap on the, on the base of the stand. So the tree was real janky. I mean, it was, it was dicey. So I was like, I'm going to throw a ratchet strap on this one. And on the ratchet strap, I probably clicked it like four times or so. But even then, like it was a decently windy day. Um, so not, not a huge issue. Once that wind died down, he stood up at 65 yards. Like I watched him stand up out of his bed. I was like, holy shit. How did I pick this tree? <laughs> you know, it's like one of those yeah. things. It's like, wow, that's, it was pure luck. You know, like, I think it was the third time ever hunting the property. And I was just checking an area as an observation set. And I set up 65 yards from him. But the fact that I had set up the sticks and the stand with, and climbed it all without making hardly any noise was, was important. Um, so I, yeah, I think, I think that's very important. So the, um, to jump back to the story, you said, uh, you got in there and it was a, it, it was calling for a North Northwest, but it was a North is a West wind. And most people will set up facing into the wind so that the wind is blowing behind them and they're expecting deer to come from right in front of them. Right. This is yeah. not the scenario that you're talking about at all. So no. where was, where was that wind blowing when you were in the tree and why were you not facing the direction you thought this deer was going to come from? Um, for one that I wasn't facing that direction is the tree, the way that the tree laid out, I, you couldn't hang a stand on that side because of limbs, but I, I knew I have to be in that tree. So anyway, this tree is perfectly in line with that very steep ravine that comes up to the CRP. Okay. So my wind is blowing straight out over the top of this ravine. So nothing can smell me unless, you know, they, if they go to cross that, they're, they're a hundred feet below me then. So that my right up over the top, which it, it's so important. I mean, a lot of guys think, oh, I should sit there on an east wind where my wind is blowing out into the CRP where there's nothing bedded there right now. But in that case, that buck's not going to be bedded on those fingers with an east wind. So it, it's always such a fine line to draw on, you know, when it gets to that, you're, you're really taking a chance. There's, there's no way around it. He could smell you and, and it's, and it's game over, but yeah, but between knowing that area from, or how that wind worked there, um, is why, is why I was set there and, and felt basically bulletproof in that set. Okay. Yeah. So that, I mean, that's a good stand to leave up year round. <laughs> um, so uh, as I'm envisioning this, envisioning this in my head, when you're sitting there and you say he came from behind on your back, right. 
that wind is blowing from your left to your right. Is that correct? It's actually blowing in my face to my back behind me. So, okay, but because... So then why did he not smell you if he was behind you and your wind was blowing behind you? <clears throat> because he was he he started off where, where I thought he was bedded and where he actually was bedded would have been like 40 yards to the north. So if he would have come farther behind me and crossed out behind me farther down, then he would have smelled me. But he was he was on the finger that I that he came from on the 14th out of a northwest wind that's the finger he came out of and that he did the exact same thing on the 21st and so that's why i felt safe there but when he come out he was towards my right to the north more and then he come right down underneath me and my wind was blowing right out over the top of him okay so literally i mean so if you would have had like no wind or like a two mile an hour west wind you probably would have been fucked yeah i probably wouldn't have i wouldn't have sat there that's the okay. only I know that I'm bulletproof and, um, yeah, you learn that from, from trial and error, but, um, yeah, any other wind direction, I, I won't sit there unless I know I have a deer that I'm after on that, on that Pacific finger. And that, that's where he was. I don't always work out like that, but, um, <clears throat> knowing what he did. Nice when it does. Yeah, I know exactly. <laughs> but yeah. So, um, and another thing too, is when you have the, thermals were still rising so you have a strong up thermal coming down or coming up that ravine and you have a wind that's blowing because it was maybe six or eight miles an hour so it was a pretty good steady breeze which I always love I hate it too calm or super windy you know some breeze you always get a more consistent wind so when you have that thermal coming up out of the ravine and you have the wind meeting it you know, when I take my scent checker or, um, I use, also I use, um, trying to think of that weed milkweed. anyway, there's milkweed. Yeah. So when I throw that milkweed out, that thing will, that thing will go straight out and all of a sudden it shoots straight up in the air because it hits that thermal. And yeah. when it does, oh man, it's money. Right. And that is, that is a phenomenal topic to, to discuss. And it's one I spent an entire podcast on. Um, last year, I spent, I think I spent an hour and 20 minutes discussing wind and thermals. Um, and it's just, it, it's hard. One of those things that you, that you mentioned is, is you would have never known that on a North Northwest wind out of this stand in this specific area, it is blowing straight West. Like you would have never known that unless you would have been in there and tested it out and, and tried that. Right. It's too hard to run all the calculations and scenarios and all the different variables that you're going to run in against um, from like an aerial map or a topo map. I, I certainly suggest like if, if you're trying to hunt um, a, a specific area or a new area, or you have um, an area that is not flat ground and a hill country area, the driftless area of Wisconsin places that have hundred and 200 foot or greater elevation changes like when, when you're out there scouting in the spring and you're taking a look for old scrapes and old rubs and all that, take into account the wind. Like every, every time you're out there, take into account the wind and try to understand that. Cause I royally effed up on that last year. So I set a, I, I got into a spot and um, I created a, on, on our piece of private, I created a mock scrape right on a trail. And I was like, 
based on last year's like thought process and everything, this should be a dynamite mox grape. I didn't get a single picture on it on October 20th, but after from October 20th to like November 3rd, it was money every day. Like there was, there was deer on it every single day. And when I went in there, it was set up perfectly for a Northwest wind. So I was like, beautiful. I'm going to go in there on a great cold front. I'm going to sit. This mock scrape is 15 yards. I'm going to crush a nice buck on it. Like here's the game plan. We're in, I got a great entry and exit route, phenomenal setup. I get in there and on a Northwest wind in that spot, it's blowing South <laughs> and it is blowing straight at the scrape. I am like, I get in the tree and I was like, what is this? What, what, what is going on right now? Like I, I do my wind checker blowing straight at the scrape. I'm looking, I look at Wonderground on my app, Northwest wind, eight miles an hour. I'm like, this is, this is not what is going on here. So this year, so I, I, I sat that spot three times, once with the Northwest, once with the North and once with the West and all of them were blowing South. It's just the way the land lays and the, and how the wind swirls and picks up and moves. So I just literally, I botched that. So I hope no one else makes that same mistake because when I was in there and setting that all up in August, it was a Northwest wind. I should have just taken the minute to say, where's the wind blowing and blow my wind checker. And I would have known I didn't. So what I, what I've done this year, um, and I haven't touched it since I set it up, I set it up in August. I set up another mock scrape. Um, this, this, uh, this trail wraps around. So, so it's a trail that runs West to East that that's the way the deer typically move on this trail from West to East. And I'm hunting on the South side of this trail. So a north wind is going to keep my scent off that trail and push it down, right? So on a north wind, it's it's actually blowing it back, back from the south straight onto this trail. So this trail runs from west to east, and then it curves, and all of a sudden it starts running from north to south. So at that point where it curves, I've set up on the east side of that. And so now when I have a northwest wind or a west wind, I actually got in there on a Northwest wind day. I sat and I set up a stand. I sat in it and it is actually blowing out of the West. So I'm, I'm good. I should be good this year. So same trail, just 50 yards away, 60 yards away. And, and I should be good this year. That is a huge tip that, that really botched a whole, uh, essentially a whole season for me, not a whole, not necessarily a whole season, but it botched that total area. Cause now I was like, Oh God, how am I going to set this up? How I'm going to move. I don't understand how this works anymore. Cause I was, everything was baked into that one mock scrape where I was planning on getting all these photos. And I did, um, hindsight should have had a plan B should have had another area. And I just, I just did. And I thought it was bulletproof. Um, so that is, that is a huge piece that I can recommend anybody hunting hill country. Um, thermals, you mentioned thermals. Derek, can you run through what thermals are and how those, how those function in hill country real quick? Well, it's not yeah. a real quick question, but. <laughs> yeah. So you have, yeah, you have thermals and it, it's, it's every day. Um, as soon as that ground heats up, as soon as the sun is, is, is exposed on any of those hillsides, you have the, the, the ground warming and you have the thermal coming up. You'll have a natural thermal rising. And as soon as it's starting to cool down or in shade, you have that thermal going down. Now, there can be some exceptions to that. You can have a crick 
that's flowing downhill, even in the warm of the day, and you can have a thermal within like 20 yards of that creek, and it will always be going down. It will never go up just because you have that cold water and you have that pole going down. Um, so that's something to pay attention to. Um, you know, if you have a creek and sometimes that's the little thing you need to, to sneak into an area where if that wind is, is always, that thermal is always coming down. Mm -hmm. um, really run into trouble when you have, you, you know, a thermal and a wind competing against each other. Um, it's something, if you're hunting in the driftless area or any type of hills, I mean, you do it out west, they do it elk hunting, you have to constantly think about it because it's constantly there. And actually, so last year when I killed, I killed the, that, that wide 10 pointer, um, it was, he was, he was betting on a, a very, it was extremely steep and a finger and <clears throat> it was probably only 40 yards wide. So he would bed there on a west wind and I had to come in from the backside. But so when I climbed up this ravine, I, I, or this finger, I could, when I, when I got to the top, you have your thermal pulling down the other direction towards him. So 40 yards made the difference with killing that deer because I was 40 yards on the other side of that point. So on a west wind, I have the west wind blowing away from the deer and I have the thermal also pulling it down when there isn't a breeze. Um, so it, it's that close, it, you know, to imaginary point, it, it's that close on each side that you have a gravitation, the pole is going down with that thermal. Um, and yeah, you can have, you can have midday, you can have the sun out 70 degrees, you have your thermals rising and you can have a front come in and, and have heavy cloud cover and all of a sudden those thermals are going down and you can have the sun come back up and the thermals are going back up. So yeah, it's, it's something you, you have to pay attention to. And it's the reason why, you know, so many big bucks, they, they die of old age and not get killed because they know those thermals. Yeah. I, you know, it really opened my eyes going out West um, for a season and, and I've been out West uh, four or five times now, four times. And last, the last time I was out there, um, I was with a buddy of mine who's been out, been, he lives out in Colorado and, and that's all he does is spend time out chasing elk. We were literally hopping shadows to keep our thermals going down because in the shadows, when you hit your wind checker, it's going downhill. When you're in the sunlight, you hit your wind checker, it's going uphill. It was kind of one of those things where we're really trying to stay in the dark to keep, because these elk were above us. We were trying to keep everything going downhill. Um, and I think that's, I, I think thermals are extremely important, even in, even in flat ground, because a lot of the times you get the absence uh, of wind in that last 30 minutes of light, right? You exactly. get no wind, you get nothing. And even in the first 30 minutes of light, you get nothing. And, and thermals, as the earth is warming, it's going to lift the natural scent up and, and go up towards the sky. As the earth is cooling, it is going to go down. And people tend to think, and this is one thing that I got stuck in the trap in is, is more in the morning thermals rise and in the hill country th in theory, they do, but only once the sun sun hits you. Right. So that first hour of light, if you're on, if that sun's rising in the East and you're on like a West facing slope, you're not getting that sunlight. So your thermals are going to continue dropping in the absence of wind. 
uh, it's going to continue dropping and head straight downhill. So if you're trying to set up above a buck, uh, in that scenario, you are, you are not in good shape, right? No, exactly. And, and to your point, um, so you can be set up on a West slope and that sun rises out of the East. It might be two hours before the sun gets to that side and, and gets, gets ab above that and to warm the earth. Um, so it's something you got to be to pay attention to. And, and like you said too, yeah, the first 30 minutes, the last 30 minutes, the, the thermals are completely taking over because you've lost that you've lost the, the natural breeze. Um, so right. it, it's so important that you got to think, okay, I'm sitting here. My wind is good for this deer or good for my spot. What's it going to do that last 30 minutes, which we all know that first and last 30 minutes is crucial. I mean, that's, that's when you usually get it done. So, right. Yeah. And, 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 uh, anecdotal story last year sitting in the tree myself and my buddy parker um we're filming none neither of us are scentless it's been like four days and we're just kind of at the effort stage right and we're sitting in a tree um we're hunting a trail that runs west to east and we have a north wind and we're we're, we're good um and we're we're intending on the thermals changing we had a decent north wind and they were fighting the thermals a little bit during the day um but as that sun set uh, the thermals were dropping and they were in partnership with the wind. So we had thermals dropping and the wind dropping um, back behind us. Okay. And they were headed towards a Creek that was about mm, 40 yards away. Okay. So, so we had a great wind. Everything was set. We had a buck come from a hundred yards away to ourselves, And he came running down the hill and we have this kind of mode. We call it our campsite, which is at about 50 yards. We had this, we have this big mode area and he stood in that mode area and you hit the wind checker and it was blowing right in his face. Like there was no doubt about it. It was blowing right at him and it dropped downhill and, and the wind checker didn't show us this, but we threw out some milkweed. It dropped downhill. It hit that Creek boom, and just shot straight downstream. Like it was like instant. So that buck was standing at 50 yards, technically downwind but had absolutely no clue we were there. He was sitting there. He was feeding in the grass, messing around. I mean, shit, I think Parker farted during that time. And, and that buck still didn't have a clue that we were there. So it, it was, that was one of those things you mentioned a Creek earlier, great anecdotal story. Like those creeks can be phenomenal. And that, that thermal plus the um, plus the wind, if you can get those in continuity and get those to, to partner up, you're in a dynamite scenario, right? And I yeah, know to back to your point as well. Um, this spring scouted, scouted, uh, a new, newer part of the property found a phenomenal bed. Um, it's, it's pretty much down to bare earth. It's up against the tree and there were six rubs within 10 feet of it. And it's on, it's on a hillside. So it is clearly a, a buck bed. What buck is using it? I have no idea. But it is, um, it, and it's probably multiple bucks depending on the day and who's dominant and all that stuff and who gets there first, yada, yada, yada. There's a ton of stuff that goes into that. But it is, to your point, it's on, there's a finger that runs, or a, more of a ridge that runs uphill and it runs north to south. This bed is on the west side of it, okay? So my thought is when I get a west wind and I can get in there in an evening 
Um, Cause I believe this deer is coming from the East to bed. I believe he's coming from the East. He's coming up over this Ridge and bedding on the West Hillside. Okay. That's that likely how they're entering this piece, it, this bed. It's not hundred percent bulletproof, but that's likely how it is. So I'm scared to hunt it in the morning. Cause I'm not sure where, which direction they're coming from in the evening. However, once they're already in there, if I get a thermal rising up that Ridge, so, so all of my winds blowing up and I get a West wind. So it's going to be blowing over that deer and to me, I should have a, a proper wind. So it's going to be blowing up and West. For the deer in that scenario, he's going to be sitting there. He's going to get rising thermals from the bottom, right? Everything's going to be coming up to him and he's going to get, and he's going to get wind direction from the rest of that ridge line, and he's facing uphill. So what I, in theory, what I'm, what I would like to do if I get the opportunity this year to do it is I need to set up on the east side of that ridge line in an area where he can't see me, but I will have both those thermals in my favor, the thermals and the wind in my favor. So when he gets up in the evening to feed, I got to cross my fingers and hope that, that he's coming to the east, back to the east, and he's going to be coming right to me. And I hopefully can see him just essentially stand up out of his bed, you know, at, at 80 to 50 yards or whatever, and just come walking right to me. And I just need to like be very careful about my setup in that scenario. I'm excited to try it out this year. I was in that bed for probably 15 minutes, planning everything out, marked all the trees on Onyx that I wanted to mark the, actually not all the trees, the specific tree that I wanted to set up, set up in based on that scenario. Um, and we'll see if I get the opportunity to try it this year. Yeah. Yeah. It, um, yeah, it's something you, you just have to pay attention to. Like you said, I mean, I I've been busted before and coming from the big woods where it's mostly flat, you don't deal with a ton of thermals, but yeah, I got my butt kicked when I went down first time to the driftless area. I hunted a farm, uh, three, four years before I ended up getting this farm. Same, same thing, close, close to that property. And, uh, yeah, you, you learn the thermals real quick cause they get you. And uh, yeah, like with that, with that wide buck I killed last year, if I'd have been another 40 yards, the thermals would have been going down to him and he would have busted me. But staying back, I mean, it was, it was so sharp of a point when I shot that deer, when I climbed out of the tree, I couldn't see him. I couldn't see where I shot him, you know, cause I was on that back side of the crest. And that's all the difference from my thermal going the complete opposite way or right to him. And yeah. uh, something to, to really pay attention to. And, and once you, once you know that in your mind, what's it going to do? I mean, that's half the game there. You still get beat sometimes, but. Yeah, no, a hundred percent agree. So if feel free to say no to this question, don't, don't feel like you need to be like, Oh yeah, I've had this scenario, but is there, has there been a time where you noticed that like when you're, when you're looking at a tree and trying to figure it out, you're at ground level and you notice the wind going one direction and then you get up like 16, 17 feet or whatever. And you're like, dude, the wind's totally different. Yeah. 100%. Okay. Yeah. Percent. It can be completely different on the ground. There's been multiple times I've hung a set on the ground, hit my wind checker, man, this is great. I get up there and I'm like, it's, it's completely different. It's completely different. And yeah, I'll, I'll tear down and, and, and get out of there and try something else. And there's some areas there's some areas that 
you just you just can't set up in. You just cannot you just can't beat it. And it's just best to stay out of those areas because you'll you'll just get busted. Um, a lot of the times, if you have if you have a finger that's coming up facing say to like the north or the west, you almost constantly have either the wind blowing in there or you have your thermal bringing your your scent down into those bottoms. And yeah, those spots, they're horrible. It just <laughs> busted me. Yeah, times where, yeah, I won't even consider it. I'll, I'll try to figure out how to kill them, you know, entering in and out of there somewhere else where I can get that wind to my advantage. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a that's a great point, you know, and, and I, I appreciate that you, you saying that and, 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 uh, what I want to say here coming from, coming from you, a guy who's killed 140, 155 and 173 years in a row on this piece in, in three years, in your first three years. Uh, I appreciate you saying that because it's one of those things that as, as a hunter who only like, not only, but generally hunts the weekends, it's difficult to pull out of an area when it's not good, right? You, you've been waiting all season to hunt. Finally, a cold front hits on a Saturday afternoon and you're like, dude, I'm hitting this and this is going to be my opportunity. And you get in there and it just sucks all the hell. And you're like, and you're like almost heartbroken and you, and you're really fighting the confidence level to stay in there and be like, well, you're starting to make up excuses in your head. Well, maybe the wind's blowing somewhere different as this deer approaches. Maybe it's doing this, maybe it's doing that. And in reality, the, the problem, the, the thing that, that, as you're saying you should do is just pull your set and relocate and try again another time in a different area. There are certain areas that these bucks live in that essentially I, I'm not going to, they're 90, 98% unkillable. You need to find the very specific route or what you need to do is wait is pull out of there and, and get to an area where they're 60% killable or yeah, or 50% killable and hunt those areas rather than trying to squeeze out that 2% in an unkillable area. Yeah, exactly. It, and it, like you said, it's a tough thing. And especially when the sign is there and you're like, man, fresh rubs or fresh grapes, this is where I got to be. But yeah, you just, you can't, you can't beat it when it, when it's like that, you can't beat them. And a lot of times that's where they live because they know that they know that they're bulletproof in, in those areas. And um, yeah, the best thing to do um, is, is to pull out and, you can't tip it, you know, especially like, like what I do is I'm, I'm targeting specific big deer that I want to kill. I'm not specifically just trying to kill any big deer, but yeah, you can't take that chance. You just can't take the chance and you, you got to pull out and you got to hope that you got to try to find, you know, where he's going in and out of where I can kill him. And, um, it, it's a really tough thing to do, you know, when you have a weekend to hunt, but yeah, if you take the time to to just stand back for a minute and, and say, you know, where can I kill this deer where I'm not having this problem? And, you know, it's tough. You, you know, it's it's a lot of work. You hang a tree stand, you get up there and you're like, oh, I don't have much time. You know, I want to sit this evening. And, and um, so you just kind of go with it. But, you know, I've done that so many times and yeah, nine out of 10 times you end up getting burnt. Right. 
Yeah, it's it's it, it is, and it's really hard not to make a pull out joke right now. And I'm just trying my best not to and trying to be serious. <laughs> um, all right, so yes, I, I yeah, I mean that makes that makes a lot of sense. So the uh, the next the next thing that I wanted to to jump to here, um, was you had mentioned um, you thought this buck was betting here because of a, of a specific wind and on a different wind, he was betting on the other finger or, or a different finger somewhere else. What can you outline how this, this finger laid and the specific wind um, and how you think this buck was using this wind to his advantage and how you used it to yours. Does that make sense? Yeah, no. So it's a very important thing. And <clears throat> once you kind of figure that out, it's, man, that's a game changer because I used to, I used to just go up and, and, and hunt and be thinking my wind's got to be blowing where there is no deer or where the, you know, out to a field or a CRP or somewhere where I know he isn't. Well, in that case, he's not going to be bedded there because the wind is wrong for him. So on this specific finger, um, it, it dropped off really steep. It was probably 150 yards deep, um, you know, hilltop finger, I call them fingers, but it, it, you know, it's probably, it's probably maybe a five acre, the top part of it, then it drops, it gets steep. So if you're walking into that finger, if you have a Northwest wind, it, it's at your back blowing in. So so is the, is the finger running like west to east? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. All right. So, so when you're coming in, it's just blowing right in and it's blowing off that south side. Yeah. So, so basically you have, basically he's protecting himself. He's betting on that finger. He's able to look out in front of him. He's be able to cover what he can see. He's able to, to look across the other finger. So he's covering half of his, his, or half of his area with his sight. And he's guarding his back with his with the wind. And the so more I'm betting on a northwest wind, um, and a finger is is west to east. Yeah, he's betting on the south side of that. So anything on the top of that ridge is blowing towards him, so he can just smell it. And he's looking downhill, so anything downhill or across from him, he can see. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And basically, he was protecting himself from something coming from the crp and so you know these bucks that you know he was i believe he was six and a half he might have been seven i believe he was six they live their every life they know where the pressure comes from so there's a ridge road up there that the landowner uses um you know if i go to plant a food plot or to mow trails i'm driving my tractor up you're always you're really always kind of entering it in the same way so he is protecting himself from that pressure. So he can be bedded back in there hundred yards, whether he hears me or he smells something coming from that direction where he can't see, you know, he jumps down the other side of the finger and he's gone. And you never even know he's there. And there they are, they're right there. So I think, you know, with a Northwest wind, I knew he'd be protecting himself that way. So, and it's such a, you know, it's almost like a quartering wind. And basically that deer thinks he's safe there. He thinks he's got the wind 
to his back. He's covering everything behind him, what he can't see, and out front he can see. So what he can see is his escape route. <clears throat> so when he jumps up and runs, if he's trying to get out of there, he already has looked over everything that's there to know if there's danger there. And what he can't see, he's covering himself with the wind. Um, so it was extremely important when I went <clears throat> to hunt him that I walked a straight line up over that hill the other side into the stand. If I would have thought, okay, I'm gonna take the ridge road, which is a hundred yards to the north, he would have smelt me, me being a hundred yards that way. Cause I, he'd have been directly downwind to me and he'd have busted me. So mm -hmm. anybody else would have been a much easier just to take that ridge road an easy walk, not steep, but I would have come up entering that CRP and he'd have busted me. So I knew if I come up straight over the top, as soon as I get to the top and that west wind is blowing kind of towards him, but it's, it's blowing right over the top of that really sharp drainage I was talking about, which I know he's not going to be bedded right down in the bottom of that. That would be the, you know, the, the most dangerous place for a deer to bed. Right. Thought, he thought he had the wind his advantage. Um, and he, he did, you know, but um you know, when you understand that and how they, they like to use it, um, that was, that was a big key. And, uh, yeah, those couple pictures that I got of him, um, those back to back nights, I think it was, yeah, the second and the third, he was coming from the other finger that I was saying, that's a horseshoe. He was coming from the other side, which, and then I looked on Wonderground, and both of those were South winds. So I kind of figured out, huh, twice he's used that finger on a South and for sure the time he was on the other finger was a, was a Northwest and that's exactly what he did that night. Gotcha. So, yeah. And that, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. It's essentially a textbook for how, you know, it sounds like, and I still think about a lot of stands, as you said, how you used to think about stands is like, I just want my wind to go where, where he is currently not. But at the same time, I mean, you make a great point. It needs to be where the wind, where he thinks the wind is in his favor. Like that's, that's the key. If you can find that, that setup or that scenario where he's betting in an area or a finger or a general like five, 10 acre chunk. And, and you're not entering that five or 10 acre chunk. You said you never go on those fingers unless you ever like drastically need to, um, and you can find a wind that is just off, right? Just that slightly off wind where he thinks he's got it, you know, nailed down and you're, you're sliding in on that 2%, but it is a, it's a great 2%. It's, it's a calculated risk, right? Exactly. Like I, I'm very unlikely to get picked here. Yeah. I mean, if, if the wind was, was perfect for you, it's complete opposite for him, you know, and it's, it's, it, and that's such a fine line it's such a fine line to walk because you could be off a little bit and he's going to bust you. And right. well, that's how they live and they get, they get old. And yeah, for the last five or six years that that has been the biggest eye opening game changer that I figured out. And, um, um, I, I heard guys, I've heard, you know, Andre DeQuisco, I've heard him say that I've heard Adam Hayes say that. And I kind of understood but once it really clicked and I was killing big deer off of those, off of that theory of the wind, then it's like, holy smokes, man, I screw up a lot of times. And 
you know, so many sits, you're thinking, well, the wind's perfect, but I didn't see him. You know, he wasn't there. And, you know, that's, that's why, that's why he, he, wasn't. Wa- he wasn't there. He was in a different betting area. That was better for him. It, exactly. So, and, so a piece of, a piece of advice, like if, if I'm looking at a, at a chunk and, um, and I have an idea where the betting area is, or I, or I have a guesstimate, um, where I should start is not, it's not necessarily what's best for me. It's if I were a deer and I wanted to stay safe, where would I bed? And then based on that, like you pinpoint an area. Okay. So on a West wind, I would, on a Northwest wind, I'd probably bed here. And the reason I I pick out a Northwest wind is because it's more likely for early season movement for a deer to get up hours before dark on a, on a cold front on a Northwest wind. Exactly. So, so, so those are always like, I always say plan for Southwest in the early season, hope for Northwest and have, and, and those are your dynamite spots. Don't go in there until you, until you get that Northwest win. But the, the idea is, okay, if, if I were um, a, a good buck and it was a Northwest wind, where would I want to live? Like, where would I want, where do I think I have the best odds of survival? And then based on that, then kind of draw a circle around that at like 50 yards, 60 yards, 70 yards, maybe a little bit further, hundred yards, and then say, okay, is there anywhere in here that I think he's going to travel? And can I set up in one of these areas to intercept him and get a, uh, uh, anywhere from a 20 to 40 yard shot on this thing, or in your case, a six yarder. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And, and the biggest thing is, is where can you find that weak point? And so I always start off, okay, if I'm getting intel from a trail camera or the landowner saying he's seen a big buck or, you know, I'll tell him, well, what day was it? So I can look back and say, oh, I seen a big buck last week. Well, what day was it? Well, it was August 6th. Okay. Then I can go back, look, okay, what was the wind direction for that deer? Mm -hmm. And, you know, then you can say, you know, I'll go on, on X and be like, okay, he, he come off of this, this point or ridge or finger he come off of there he came down and fed in that bean field what was the wind direction that he was up there so then you can see okay that that finger that runs north and south he was up there on the south end of it on a north wind that he was completely protecting his backside from the north and being able to see from a south then you got to say okay this is what he's doing how can i which is the tough part how can i find a weak spot to sneak in there and kill him without him knowing. And, you know, you could, you know, you could go, well, he's up there and, oh, I'm going to hunt it on a, a south wind. Well, he's probably not going to be on that point on a south wind. He, he's somewhere else. Sure. Yeah. Um, no, that, that makes a, a lot of sense. Um, and I think it's a, a, a great piece of advice in terms of put the deer's survival first and then base your plans on that. Do you think the, um, do you think that buck was headed to that scrape? Do you think the heavy 10 was headed there? Um, I don't think so, but he was, he was very close to it. And I think he was just going to scent check it from 30, 40 yards back. Okay. And the problem was, it was, I mean, it was pretty daylight. It was an hour before dark. So he was, his body language, he was very slow. And he was just more paying attention. And a lot of times people think, well, 
they only check the scrape if they're standing right into it. A lot of times they'll just circle around 40, 50, 60 yards farther downwind. And I think that's what he was doing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you add that, um, that was the only licking branch and scrape that I know of that he was on. So I, I knew that that had to, you know, that, that was another tip to know what finger he was coming out of. Um, and I think he was just coming up to scent check it. And then you have, you have the perfect scenario of that cold front. I mean, so many, big, yeah. my buddy, my buddy Thomas, we're talking all week. He's like, man, there's going to be some big, kill, big deer killed on Tuesday. And it is, I mean, you can, you can flip up Instagram, every cold front that comes up and there's big deer killed. Right. You know, and, and just being, and he was, I, I, it was very thick. I didn't see that he was bedded there. I actually should have, after I killed him, I should have walked around and seen exactly where he was bedded. But being that early in, in the day um, or at that early in the evening, I, I'm sure he was bedded within a hundred yards. And um, man, it's just so important. Every time you walk in the woods, every time you climb a tree, you need to say to yourself, there's a big buck within a hundred yards so that you, you naturally just go that slow, be that quiet you know, and you can't ever, and I've been burnt. I've taken it for granted. And all of a sudden I was too loud and, and you see a big buck take off running, you know, you weren't paying attention or you were moving too fast and you just, it's just, you always got to be expecting that he's, that he's right there. And uh, yeah, it was a good thing. It was a good thing that tree stand or nothing made any noise. You know, my bow, the wind was starting to die down a little bit. And I'm like, man, it, he's that close that, Oh, it was nerve wracking. <laughs> <laughs> I bet, man. I bet it was terrible. It was, it was extremely exhilarating and terrifying at the same time. Right. Like, uh, yeah. there is no way I'm not going to get busted, but goddamn, just turn broadside, please. Right now. Oh, goodness. I was like, come on. And I was, I was honestly worried that he was going to bed back down because he was just standing there, standing there. And he would take a couple steps. He would, he would just look and look and, and early, how early it was, I, I thought he would have bedded back down. And he was just, I think he was just waiting for the cover of darkness to feed out in that CRP. But he, you know, the way that, you know, pressure was rising, we had that rising moon, we had pressure over, I think it was 30.2, which is high, uh, just, a, you know, almost a perfect day. Um, it was just enough to get him up on his feet, you know, and it cost him. Yeah, yeah. No, good for you. And, and to revisit that, the things that you have mentioned that when you get a good buck on trail cam um, or, or you see a good buck from a stand, the things to pick off here that you've talked about right now are our time of year, weather change, uh, moon phase, wind direction, and pressure. Those are all important things to take into account. Um, and, and there's probably more there, but those seem to be like the most important that are competing. Uh, continually repeated on the podcast that people look at yeah exactly um 100 um yeah it it um yeah there's there's they move they you know they move with with those cold fronts um the red moon um i've watched it um all year long um i actually have an iowa tag i'll be going to iowa soon and um I've had cameras throughout the summer there and it's like, man, as soon as that red moon comes in, there's a, there's a, a big deer on its feet in daylight, you know? Um, but 
you know, if you would have went off just the red moon um, and decided not to hunt, well, I wouldn't have killed that deer. I mean, he was six and a half year old deer up at up at an hour before for dark, you know, right. um, but a rising full moon. It's just, it always seems like evening move, movement is great. So I figured that in, in, the, in the, the equation, but um, yeah, when you have, when you have a big cold front and you have 20 degree drops, man, that's it. That's it's time to make your move. Right. Regardless of what the moon's, moon's doing, you got to take a chance on that. Exactly. Espe yeah. Especially if you have the data that you have and the historical data, right. Which is always a great point. And I like to make that on every podcast, like historical data of buck movement and deer movement on a specific property pretty much trumps everything else. If you can hunt a property consistently for multiple years and learn the deer patterns on that property, you're going to be more effective than, than anybody else who just goes and hunts a property for a single year and then guesses on, and then you only utilizes like the moon phase and the wind direction, things like that. Like you're, you're just, there's so much information to be gained year over year over year on what trails, what bedding areas, what pressure, what human pressure, what, what cow pressure you know, what yeah. other buck pressure comes into a property during a specific time of year, like all that takes into account. And, and the more you can hunt a specific property, the more you can learn, the more effective you can be on that property. Right. I mean, it's just, I've hunted, so I'm, th I'm 31. I've hunted 27 different properties in my life. Um, and, and it's been a roller coaster. And I'm finally the last three, four years I've been settling on this piece of public that's 6,000 acres outside my house and then our private property. And it's been great to just like settle and know, like I'm hunting good areas with good bucks and I'm learning these specific areas. And I have, I have areas that are very specific for Northwest winds in the early season, very specific for Southwest winds during the pre-rut or the rut, because there's, I have some great areas that are good only for a Southwest wind. They work well for the deer. They work, work well for me. And I've had good luck on them. Um, cameras have told me that and, and time and everything. So that historical data that you mentioned, you know, knowing, seeing that buck last year, knowing where he liked to bed, knowing that he came in usually in September, knowing the licking branch that he liked to hit, the scrape he liked to hit, all that played a factor. So we, we, we certainly can't discount that. But at the same time, knowing the right conditions to get in there. Cause if you would have gone in there on their 18th, you might've blown them out and might've been done for. Right. Exactly. You have, you, they, they only move so many times a year in, in daylight and you really have to, you have to pick your shots and I will not, unless it's an observation set, if I'm trying to learn something, I will not, I will not go in on the deer unless it's perfect until I feel like, man, this is the night I can't miss. And um, yeah, more, more times than not, it, it, it pays off. But uh, yeah, another, another point I was going to make. So I was telling you that story about the cows when, when we jumped that deer, he was on that other horseshoe finger on a Southwest wind. So uh. from year to year, he was using that same bedding area on that Southwest wind. And he was using that, that other one on the, on the yeah. north. And that's, you know, sometimes, yeah, sometimes you have the same, same big deer year after year using an area. And, and then like, I'm sure, you know, too, you have a big buck show up and he's there for a month and he's gone. You never see him again, you know? Yep. 
Yeah, every year, man. Every year during the rut and even late season, I have random bucks show up for a month and I never see them again. Yeah. Right. Late season's always interesting because food drives everything and the rut's always interesting because does drive everything. So yeah, it's always interesting what'll what'll show up and what'll pass through. Um but man, I, I, I think we covered a lot in this story today. I think we provided a, a ton of information. Um, if people want to ask you some other specific questions, maybe about thermals, about buck bedding areas off of fingers and things like that for their own scenario, what's the best way to reach out to you, man? Yeah, uh, so the only, only uh, media I have is uh, my Instagram. So yeah, Bowhunter Derek, uh, D-E-R-R-I-C-K. And uh, yeah, feel free to, to hit me up and, and uh, if you have a question or talk hunting yeah anytime all right perfect and i will put that in the show notes so if you guys are listening just just find the show notes on here um his his ad for instagram will be on there so certainly reach out to them or reach out to him and uh again thank you thank you for popping on derek i really appreciate it i i learned a ton on this uh, on this episode and, and i really appreciate you taking the time again um if everybody listening, if you guys enjoyed this, uh, you enjoyed the time, you want to reach out to Derek, please give him a follow on Instagram, hit him up, let him know that you listen to the podcast and, and appreciate his, uh, his information that he's putting out for everybody to try to get better. And uh, if you would leave a review for the podcast, um, it really helps raise rankings and, and helps get people to find me a little bit more. So I would sincerely appreciate that personally. Um, just grow grow the ability for people to find me easier. All right. With that said, thank you everyone for listening. Uh, best of luck out there this season. Go kill those early season monsters, man. This will be Aaron October. What? October. It's 29th today. So it'll be our Aaron October 4th. So we're a couple weeks away from the old pre-rut coming up here all right so i know derek's going to be doing nothing but drooling over an iowa tag which everybody loves to hate on um but fantastic <laughs> good good for you um so yeah october 4th this will air um i hope a lot of people open up october 1st which is this weekend so hopefully you guys find this useful you can deploy these strategies this weekend all right catch you guys later <laughs>